Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to look at your word. We ask you to bless this time and bless us as we study in your son's precious name. Amen. Psalm 141, starting at verse 1. A Psalm of David. Lord, I cry unto you, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my heart, my head, Yet, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Let their judges, when their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cuts and cleaves wood unto the earth. But my eyes are unto you, O God, the Lord, in you is my trust. Leave not my soul desolate, destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me, and the gins of their workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while that I with all escape. So David here is praying a prayer of protection, and you know his first statement in this is, "Lord, I cry unto you. I make ha- unto you make haste unto me. Give ear to my voice when I cry unto you." And David's saying right out from the beginning, I cry aloud for help. And this is something that we need to do frequently. And a lot faster in most cases, call out to God for help. Uh, I've been doing the same thing myself oftentimes. I kind of just try to do it myself and then realize I can't do it and then decide to try to cry out to God. Any situation? Well, getting better at not getting better at calling out to him, but God wants us to call out to him. He wants to help us. And we have to really understand that he desires to help. He is not up there saying, okay, well, when you when you have reached the end of your rope, I'll help you. God is really just saying, when you call out, he says, when, and David cries, I cry unto you, make haste unto me, give ear to my voice when I cry unto you. And he's saying, listen to me, God, when I call. And our goal is to really understand that God desires to give to us. When Jesus said, you know, if the son asks you a fish, would you give him a serpent? You know, he asked for food, are you going to give him a stone? You know, he asked for bread, are you going to give him a stone? You know, our father wants to bless us. And too many Christians have this idea that God is just out there with an eyedropper, you know, saying, okay, you asked for a blessing, let me just wet your tongue. <laughs> you know, let me just wet your lips. And that's not our God. You know, we are saved from faith to faith. We are saved by faith, we're kept by faith, and we will get to heaven by faith. Nothing I do is going to make God choose to love me more, help me more. Uh, If I'm disobedient, it's going to break his heart, but he's still going to help. When I'm obedient, it doesn't say, okay, well, I'm I'm just looking forward to helping you so much because you're obedient. Because truly, we can very rarely be obedient. There's usually motivation behind that obedience. You know, God, if I'm really good, you're going to really bless me, so I'm going to be as good as I possibly can. And all of a sudden, we're not doing it for the right reasons. And it's, here we are, David, saying, when I call out, Lord, hear me and, and answer me. 
Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifice. And this is definitely talking about the temple, the prayers in the holy place where the, where the altar of incense raised up and it represented the prayers of the saints going up to God. And David says, let my prayers be as that incense. God, you paid attention to the incense in the altar, pay attention to my prayers. And this is a beautiful thing that he's saying. And, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Every evening the Jews perform sacrifices. And he says, lifting up my hands, which shows me, shows that I am, have confidence, that I have acceptance by God, and that I am surrendering to God. When we raise our hands in, in praise to God, it's more than just ecstaticness or anything. It is really showing God, God, I accept you. I am opening up myself to you. When your hands are up in the air, you can't do anything else to defend yourself. And that's why surrender is with our hands up and God's saying, you're surrendering to God. And he says, let my hands be lifted up as the evening sacrifice. God, we offer these sacrifices. You take my, take my lifting up my hands as my sacrifice. And here's David saying, you know, Lord, you're, you're going to pay attention to me. And he really understands that he doesn't have to go to the temple to be accepted by God. God, I don't have to go to the temple and offer incense. I don't have to go into the temple and have the, my prayers lifted up in the temple. I don't have to go to, the alt, go to the temple and have sacrifices made for you to listen and hear me. And David seemed to understand this better than most of the Old Testament uh, characters that we study. He is very much like a New Testament. I can worship you wherever I'm at. I can worship you in, in a ways that are going to please you just because I'm surrendered to you. And that's why when Jesus was talking to the woman in, at the well in Samaria, she goes, well, your people say you have to go to Jerusalem, and my people say we worship on this mountain. And Jesus' answer was, there'll come a time when you, where you worship doesn't matter. You'll worship in spirit and in truth. David was understanding that. God, I will pray to you, and I don't have to be standing in the temple for you to hear my prayers. God, I will... I will lift up my hands and surrender, and you will accept that as a sacrifice. I'm not saying David didn't go out and sacrifice. I'm sure he went to the temple a lot, and he sacrificed. But he says, God, it's the middle of the night. I can, I can praise you, and you'll accept that as a sacrifice. <laughs> a lot of times he wasn't. A lot of times running for his life. A lot of times watching those sheep, and he learned to just love God where he was at. And here we see David saying, God, I just want to, I want you to listen to me. Hear my voice. And you know, we see this oftentimes with Christians as well. God, I, I come to church, now I've, I've paid my dues, now you get to listen to me. And you know, we need to be very careful of this. Why do we come to church? We come to church because we need the body of Christ. We need to be ministered to the, by the body of Christ. We need that edification. We need that exhortation. We need those people that, that we have find a hard time dealing with and knock the rough edges off of us. We need the body of Christ to grow, but it's not coming to church that makes us acceptable to God. And it's not coming to church that's even going to make us grow, even though it will. It's, that's just being obedient to God and, and being around his people. And David is understanding that. He's not saying, don't do these things, but he's saying, God, you, you accept these also. Verse 3, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Oh, this one's so beautiful. David says, help me, help me watch what I say and what I say. God, set a watch. Put a guard, O oh Lord, before my mouth. Uh, most of us get so in trouble so often because of the things we say. 
We're quick to say wrong things. We're quick to say things that, that hurt people. We're quick to, to, to say things that are not appropriate before God. And David says, you know, set a, God, put a, guard, put a guard on my mouth. Put a guard on my mouth. And, and by the way, put a guard on the door of my lips. So he's repeating this in, in good, good Jewish poetry. You know, God, I want a guard. Watch, help me watch what I say. That, well, that's a statement we use. That's true. Open mouth, insert foot is something we say a lot. And David's saying, and David's saying, God, don't let anything be said that I'm going to regret. And, you know, that one should be a prayer for every single person out there. God, help me not say anything that I would regret. How often do we give a sarcastic comment to somebody and kind of regret that we said it? Uh, we get caught up in gossip, you know, and gossip can be caught up in so easy. You're just talking along and somebody starts talking about somebody and you're, and you go a minute or two before you even realize that, hold it, this is gossip. I shouldn't be listening to this. But by that time you've already engaged in it and you have to say, stop, I'm not going to do this anymore. And very important for us to be able to hear those things and not get involved with them. Well, words are the same way, but text, yeah. texting words, uh, texting. Facebook. Facebook is a problem people have a lot of problem texting with. Right. Well, text, Facebook is too, technically. You can go back and delete some things, but it's still out there on some servers somewhere. Even after you've deleted it, the information's yeah, there. So we see this out there constantly we need to watch what we say and in our day what we text what we what we put on the internet uh, and that's a better bet help me watch what I communicate God or and communication can have a lot of issues when when I've sat down with people I'm going especially with leadership I'm going what is the unintended consequence if you say or do this what is what is it how is it going to be perceived by the people that you're saying it to in other words, I'm saying, set a guard. What is it? Are you really wanting to say what you're just trying, what you just said, will tell somebody this? Is this what you want to tell them? And it's very important for us to consider these things. You know, well, I don't think you should come to church when you're like this. Well, that may mean to somebody you don't want me in church. And it may be a legitimate, legitimate saying, when, you, when you've got the flu, don't come to church. Okay, but that could be interpreted to them, well, you, I'm not wanted in church anymore. And we need to be very careful how we say it, what we say. And it's wisdom not to come to church if you know you're sick. Okay, uh, It's one thing if you're just feeling a little under the weather to, to stay home from church. But if you're really sick, you know, you've got the mumps and the measles and, and uh, strep throat, don't come to church. <laughs> it's it's hard, to, hard to know when that is because I'll also understand that if whatever will keep you away from church is what you're going to face week after week. You know, if a... A little sniffle keeps you out of church, and you will be guaranteed to be sniffling every Sunday morning when it's time to go to church. So, and that's a hard call. That's a hard call. How sick is too sick to come to church? Uh, my basic rule is if I would go to work, I'm coming to church. And that's even before I became a pastor, but it's, if, I, if it wouldn't keep me from going to work, I'm going to church. And I'm not going to let that stop me. And this is, but David's saying, Watch, help me watch what I say, Lord. You know, close my mouth once in a while. 
And we all in, get into this. We all speak first, think, think afterwards. We, we all end up doing things that's, you know, that we kind of go, man, why did I say something so stupid? Or why didn't I say this? You know, there are times when it's, it works the other way around. You know, I should have said something. And David is saying, put the guard over my mouth. And this is a prayer everybody should do. In verse 4, incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works which men that work iniquity and let not let me not eat of their dainties incline don't make me lean toward in my heart and heart here literally means my innermost desires in in hebrew so incline not my innermost desires to any evil thing and how easy is it for us to be inclined to evil uh, and it may not be severe evil by human standards. It could be any number of things that are evil in God's sight, which is quite a bit of things that we do. Uh, much of what we watch and hear on the, on, on the radio ends up being evil. And it's very hard sometimes to even understand how much evil there is around us and how much we are inclined to that evil. And it's amazing as we grow with God and we look back on our life, and I've said this many times with different TV shows, I'm going, and I watch a TV show and I'm going, man, this thing's terrible. I got to turn it off. And I, and I think, I used to watch this show, especially on these repeat stuff. You know, I used to watch this show and I didn't think it was so bad. And now I can't stand it at all because God is changing my heart, changing and making the inclination of my heart different. And this is David's prayer. Don't let me be inclined to these evil things. And it's amazing how, how much we will trick ourselves into thinking, well, it's not really that bad, or I could be doing worse. Well, yeah, of course we could be doing worse. At any, at any time, we could be doing worse. And our standard is not, I, you know, I, I could be doing worse. It should be, am I doing the best that I can? And there's times when we're at the best we can for where we're at in our growth. And then we grow a little more and then we realize, wow, I should not have been doing those things I used to do. But that's part of growth. And this is something we want to look at. And these shows that I used to watch and I'm going, I can't watch these anymore. I'm going, thank you, God, for changing who I am. And we need to get that way. You know, people will say, I can't read the books I used to read or I can't read the, watch the movies I used to, to watch. I had a friend that he was working on his movie collection to get rid of any movie that used God's name in vain. He reduced his three, 400 movie collection down to under 50. And they weren't bad movies for the most part. They just, all, almost every movie uses God's name in vain. And it's an amazing thing when you start listening to that and being aware of that, uh, how often God's name is used in vain out there. And we hear that and don't even think twice about it or think that it's bad. And it says, don't let me practice wicked works with men that, are, that work iniquity. This is, I would go, I would have stopped with, don't let me practice wicked works, <laughs> not just with other people, but don't let me practice wicked works. You know, God help me to live the way you want me to live. And that's, as he indwells us and he strengthens us, he will make our life more and more acceptable to him as long as we let him. Well, that would be somebody who is Let's say, why don't you come out with us to the bar? You don't have to drink. And they eventually start talking you into, well, this is, yeah, you, can, you can do one drink. It's not going to, you know, God's not going to send you to hell for one drink. 
or enjoying just the things that they do, the language that they're speaking, the cutting down of people, you know, the things that they're thinking are fun is what he's talking about. Don't let me do things that are against you, God, even though they think they're good. And we know what that's like. You know, the old saying, birds of a feather flock together, you know, and, or, you know, well, he was just with the wrong people. Well, yeah, if he was with the wrong people, eventually he's going to do something wrong in, in and of himself. And basically he's saying, you know, it's kind of a poetic way. You know, the things they like doing, God, the things that they think are good, don't even let me eat there, eat those things. Don't even begin to partake of what they think is good. Their dainties, their sweet things, their things that they, their delicacies, the things that they like. And it says, keep me, God, keep me away from this. Don't incline my heart to evil. Don't let me practice it with them. And don't even let me eat of the things that they think. And this is true for so many things. How often have we found ourselves hanging out with somebody and then finding out, you know, wow, why did I do something so stupid? You know, why did I do whatever it might be? And you know, we kind of think, of, well, I was hanging with this person and I got curious or this happened or I watched them do it and I just, you know, all of a sudden I was finding myself drinking, doing drugs, uh, going out stealing, whatever it might, might be, you know, racing my car at 120 miles down the road, you know, an hour down the road, you know, because I was trying to enjoy myself with them. Wrong inclinations, wrong plans. And this is why I tell people, coming to church isn't going to be the way to keep you 100% safe, but coming to church puts you with the ground. Hopefully, it's trying to obey God. But if your heart is to find somebody that wants to disobey God, even in church, you will find people that want to disobey God. And this is why this is in here. Incline my heart, my innermost being, away from this ev these evil things. And I don't even want to look at what they think is good. And this is why when we hang out with spiritually mature people and, see, and start looking at doing what they like and being encouraged to do what they're doing to follow God leads, leads to a better, better place. Then he goes in verse 5, Let the righteous smite me, and it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. And basically he's saying that when somebody is righteous and reproves us, it's a good thing. You know, we may not like it at the time. It still hurts. But we also know that if they're righteous, they're trying to do it for a good reason. In Proverbs 15, 5, it says, the fool despise cor despises correction. If we get upset when somebody corrects us, and it's a legitimate correction, not, not, not off-the-wall correction, and, but the problem is we need to, when we correct it, at least stop and consider. Because no correction sounds good when you're in the middle of it. When somebody looks at you and says, hey, you're working way too many hours, you're not coming to church, and you're thinking, well, if you knew my situation, you know I have to work all these hours, you know, their correction probably is true. You're working too many hours. When I was working 60, 80 hours a week in the restaurants, if somebody had come up to me, I probably would have been irritated by them. But if I realized that they loved me, and I might have been snapped out at them at the time they did it, but I would have thought about what they said and go, you know what, they're right, I'm working too many hours. I don't go to church. And so we look at all of this stuff, and in Ecclesiastes 5.7 says that the wise, the wise rebuke people. Hebrews 12.5 uh, 12, says, despise not the rebuke. You know, God wants us to be able to look at when we're rebuked and at least give it consideration. 
I had a friend about six years ago. I, I, you know, I had to go back to him and go, you know, first off, I'm going to say sorry because I'm your friend and I haven't said this earlier to you, but I need to say this to you. And I said something that was rather hard for him to hear. And he had to back off for a moment. You could see in his face he wasn't happy about what I had said to him. He went away a little miffed. <laughs> but the next day he called me and said, thank you for telling me this. I really needed to hear it. We don't, we don't like being reproved, even from a friend. We don't like to do it either. And we don't like to because it hurt. it's kind of, I'm going to cause you pain by telling you that you're not doing something right. But the pain of God having to tell them that they're not doing something right could be a whole lot worse. And when God breaks up their life because of the consequences of what they're doing, it would be a whole lot easier for us to say, hey, you know, I really am concerned about the direction you're headed in. And this is what I see. And if we do it right, it should go, it should go over OK. It, I mean, it may make people mad at us. In the long run, it is much better. It's better for a friend to tell you this stuff because eventually, either God's going to do it or an enemy's going to do it. And the enemy's not going to do it in love. They might even be teasing you because of your witness having been taken out to the woodshed and, and ruined because of the things you were doing. And God can make your life miserable when you're not listening and behaving, if you don't listen and behave. But, he, but he's saying, you know, the righteous will smite me and it will be a kindness. It will be mercy. And when they, when they reprove me, give me correction, it is excellent oil. And oil in David's day was what you put on your, your wounds to help cover them and, and get, get in there. You, he poured the oil in to anoint the lambs and cover their, mat their fur over it so that it didn't get infected. Uh, he understood the oil. And it says, it won't break my head. If my friends are doing it, it they're not out to hurt me. They're not out to ruin me. And then he says, and yet my prayer also in their calamities. When they have trouble, I'm going to pray. Basically, he's going to say there's a little bit of reciprocation. I'm going to watch out for them as well. They're my friends. They've tried to help me. And this is very important for us to understand that we need to be able to look out for our fellow Christians. When a friend gives us correction, a brother gives us correction, it's not for our hurt. It's for our good. And we disobey, we, we don't do what they're saying, what they've recommended at, at our own peril. You know, because it might hurt us in the long run if we dis, you know, don't pay attention. Because God will step in. If we don't listen to our friend giving us correction, we don't listen to the pastor from a message giving us correction, and God has to step in, he'll use the two-by-four to get our attention a little bit. Now, you didn't, you didn't listen to your friend, you didn't listen to the messages, okay, let's take a... Let's take the strap to you. Let's take the two by four to you. And now let's see if you'll listen. And if you don't listen to that, then he brings out something heavier. And, but he will get our attention eventually. If we are being a child that wants to grow. And even if we're not, he's still going to try to get us our attention. Uh, but you know, if you're a child who wants to grow, you're probably going to respond to your friend's correction. Again, I'm not saying that friend's going to like what you say to them. If you're the one correcting them or you're being corrected by a friend, it's not always pleasant. Because you know, you'll look at them and say, well, what are you trying to hurt me for? Why, you know, why are you saying these things? And you go away a little angry and you think about it and you're going, you know what? I think they're right. Yeah,
We get defensive. Our pride has been hurt. You're saying that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, and our pride gets hurt. It's easy to get defensive. Well, it's, it's human nature to get defensive. And if we're not growing with God and learning to not be defensive, and we read God's word and we get a little defensive because of what God says in his word, and we try to rationalize and explain away why I'm doing, well, you know, God, if you just knew my circumstances, God, I know what you wrote in the Bible, but God, if you knew, just knew what I was going through, and God says, I do know what you're going through. And this is why we have to get rid of our pride. We have to get rid of our, our desires to do things our way, and that can only come from God changing us. And it takes time. It takes time, and it takes the idea of, God, I'm going to let you crucify my flesh, and God, give me that, take my inclinations away from, from evil and let it be toward good. And that's making us a new creation and changing us. Verse 6 says, When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. And again, he's talking about the righteous that, that are reproved. When all that judgmental people are overthrown, then they shall hear the words that were sweet, God's words. The words of gentle reproof of the friend, and God's, God's word behind the scenes. When we go through hard times and we fall flat on our face, God is not up there looking down on us, yelling at us, and, and cursing at us. He's saying, he's almost like the mother at that time. Oh, come here, sweetie. Let me pick you up and dust you off and, and give you this hug and put you back on the, on the path. And this is why we've really got to understand about God is he loves us. And so many people do not understand that God loves them. They have this idea that God somehow is disapproves of us until we prove ourselves. And a lot of that comes from the fathers that we have that don't love us and, and don't approve of us, or and sometimes from others. And we put that onto God. Okay, My dad didn't like me unless I brought home straight A's or I was the... Starting, starting running back on the, on the football team or the star of the swim team or the star of the baseball team. And if I didn't do these things, all he ever did was criticize me. And we pass that on to God and say, you know what, God, I'm just not good enough for you. And so that leads us into all kinds of crazy things, trying to either say I can never win his approval or really striving to win his approval. Either way is just as bad. And we've got to understand we have his approval if we're a Christian. We have the righteousness of Christ on us. And when he looks at us, he says, this is my son. I see Jesus. I'm pleased in you. may not be pleased in every single thing you're doing, but I am pleased in you. But, you know, we just need to be able to understand God loves us. And that's a hard concept for people who have not been shown love and don't understand love. And all they've ever understood was conditional love. But God loves us. We need to really understand that and accept that and start walking in that love. And it's not an easy thing at times, especially if you've never seen love. And this is something that's hard for when two people get married and one has never been shown love. They're never going to accept that they're loved completely. They're always going to think it's conditioned that they need to do something. They need to earn it. They need to be rewarded, you know, they have to earn that person's love. And, and if you're always trying to earn somebody's love, eventually you stop trying. Because you realize you can't do it. 
And that's good if you're turning to God and say, God, I can't earn your love. I need you. But if that turning away from it says, okay, God, I can't earn your love, so I'm just going to go off and do what I want because I can't earn it, that's not a good thing. And it's really a, this whole idea of conditional love is something that's hard. And it ruins so many people's lives. And because if they grow up with conditional love, they usually have conditional love themselves. You know, I won't love you unless you perform whatever that performing is. Okay, and it may be something really simple, it may be something really hard, but if you're dealing with conditional love all your life, you put conditions on other people as well. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cuts and cleaves wood upon the earth. And this is a condition that he's saying, we're miserable. The bones have been scattered in the, in the grave, and I love this picture, and as when one cuts and cleaves wood from the earth, when you chop down a tree, if you've ever chopped down a tree or tried to cut down a tree, those wood chips go everywhere. Even if you're using a chainsaw, now, you, now instead of wood chips that David's talking about, you have fine wood powder going everywhere that, that is being scattered. And you'd never be able to put that back together. And here's David saying, you know, hey, you know, everything is bad. You know, and this is how bad it is. They've robbed the grave and they've scattered the bones around the, around the mouth of the grave. You know, it, we're like this tree that's being cut down and there's wood chips everywhere as they're hammering away with it on, with the hatchet and the axes. And if you've ever tried to use a hatchet or an axe on, it, on wood, you see wood go everywhere. And that's what he's saying. That's how bad he says, you know, that everything I have is out there. And then he says, as one that cleaves wood, cleaves upon the earth, literally runs a plow through the earth. Yeah, and creates this big furrow. Yeah, the clumps get turned up and over, and he goes, yeah, this is how bad my, this is how bad life is for those of us who are not following God's ways. Yeah, there is no hope. We're this earth that cannot be returned the way it was. We're this tree that cannot be returned the way it was. We're these bones that can't be gathered back together into, into a body. And then verse 8 says, but, but, my eyes are on you, O God, the Lord. In you is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. When we are at our lowest point, we need to look at God. We need to look at him and say, God, you're the one I need. And you know, so many times when I get into trouble and I'm you know, feeling miserable, I kind of realize, God, I haven't looked at you. And I turn my eyes upon him and think about him. And this is what David says, turn your eye, but I turn my eyes on you. And there is my trust. If our trust is not in God, there is no victory. There never will be victory. There will never be fulfillment when we're trying to do things on our own strength because everything is dependent upon God. I've shared with many people, you know, there was a time when I spent six years trying to get out of a pit that I had dug. Six years trying to get out of it, and I finally said, I give up, and God got me out of it in, in just a month. You know, it's amazing when we stop trying to do it ourselves and we just look at God and go, God, I don't know how this is going to happen, but you are my rest, refuge. You are my strength. 
and he'll be saying, okay, about time he did, turned it over to me, let's, let's, let's take care of it. And we're always in some kind of hole, pretty much, if we're doing it in our own strength and not depending on God. And this is why David said, turn your eyes on God. And that doesn't mean, you know, okay, God, I give you my problem, and as we're walking away, we take our problem back off, the, off God's shelf we, so we can still deal with it. It means put our problem on his shelf and leave it there. And for God, our problems are no problem. And I've heard some people say, well, I'm, I'm going to take care of the little things and I'll give God the big problems. And I've asked several people on that. I go, okay, what's a big problem to God? Okay, what problem in your life is going to be a big problem to God? Nothing, you, nothing in your life is going to be a problem. Nothing in this world is going to be a big problem to God. God wants all our cares to be cast on him. If it's a problem to us, he says, give it to him. You know, and Peter says, you know, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. you know, and the key is to leave our cares with him and let him deal with them. And too often we cast our cares on him and then we pull them back. All right, God, you can have these 18 cares of mine. Oh, by the way, God, I'm taking 17 of them back. You can have that one. I'll, I'll take the other 17. Because, God, I know that, that, seventh, that 18th one's really going to be tough for you, so I'll, I'll continue working on these other 17. And God's saying, uh, no, none of these problems were going to be that big a deal. But, you know, it goes against our pride. It against, goes against our arrogance to let God, even let, to let God be the one to help us. Most people do not truly want help from other individuals or from God. Because that's saying, I can't handle it. I can't, I can't get out of this problem. And when we say that, we're going, I'm weak. And especially men don't like to say that. And many women don't like to say that. And as humanity, we don't like to say it. God, I am too weak to get out of this. And God says, okay, I'm strong enough. I will take care of it. And here David's saying, my eyes, when I turn to God and put my trust in God. And this is why we need to be able to say, God, everything I have is for you. When I go through hard times, I try to give Romans 8.28 back to God. God, you said that all things work together for good. I'm trusting in that. I'm trusting in that you're going to make something good. Not necessarily for me, but you're going to use this for good. And this is important for us to understand. God has a good plan for us. The statement that people say, God is good, and they respond all the time, and all the time, God is good. We've got to keep that in mind. When we're dealing with God, anything that he allows our way is good. Now, how it's going to be good may not be something very clear until we get distance between the problem and, and the solution. But God says, I have a good plan for you. And the question is, do I trust God for what he's doing? Yeah. And that's hard to do. That is hard to do sometimes. When it looks like all hell is breaking loose in your life, it is hard to go, God, I'm going to trust you. Uh, my statement is always this, God, I don't understand it, but you've promised that good is going to come, so I'm going to stand on that promise. Do I do it perfectly? Nope. Nobody's going to do it perfect, but most of the time I turn around and God say, God, don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see how anything good can happen from this, but you've said that something good will come out of it. And we may have to wait till heaven to find out what that good was that comes out of it. But, you know, we just turn to God and say, God, I trust your word. 
I trust you. Job could have very easily said, God, what do you think you're doing, Neil? You've killed all my kids. You've taken away all my wealth. I'm going to go worship these idols. At least, the, at least they, they're not going to take everything away from me. And of course, they would have because they're not real. But he could very easily have said, God, you're just not worth my following. I don't, I don't understand this. I don't trust. And, and what his statement to his wife was, naked I came into this world, naked I'll go, go back. What trust he had in God that's, that is so hard for us to be able to understand. And yet he's saying, God, I don't know. I don't understand, but you're in control. And that's what David's saying here. God, I will turn my eyes on you and my trust and then he goes, leave not my soul desolate. And he knew that God wouldn't. Verse 9 says, keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and from the gins of the workers of iniquity. And gins is that old, old word for snares, <laughs> traps, bait. Uh, so this is again a repeat. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and from the traps and bait of the workers of iniquity. And you know, if we're looking at God and we're keeping our eyes on him, he will guide us around the snares. He will keep us out of the traps that are set for us. And gins literally means the bait in the trap more than just the snares, but the actual bait in the trap. And Satan is awfully good at knowing what bait is to bait these traps with. You know, for each individual, they, we have a different bait that would attract us. And if our eyes are not on God and we see that bait, whatever that might be, whether it's pride or money or prestige or, you know, just, you know, for some it might be alcohol and drugs, you know, just, and he puts that bait out there saying, hey, this will take care of your problems. This will take care of it for you. You know, you're, you're, you like alcohol? Here, just take this alcohol, it'll get you out. Oh, you have money problems and you like to gamble? Here, I've got, we've got the gambling for you. That'll get you out of your money problems. Oh, you, you have this, you know, you need, you need some prestige. Let me, here's that opportunity. You just steal this guy's paperwork and you turn it in as yours and you'll get the, get the credit and you'll be the boss in no time. And whatever that bait is, he says, here's the bait. And David is saying, keep me from that bait. Keep me from these snares and the workers of, of the iniquity. And then is his final statement, let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape. And you know, it is fun to do things God's way and watch the wicked fall into their own nets and fall into, the, into that while you're looking back over them and saying, wow, God, that could have been me. And they fall into their own trap. You know, they, they set something up and you don't fall into it and then they end up falling into it. And it happens a lot when we, don't, when we are listening to God and we don't fall into their traps. They end up falling into their own traps, forgetting that they said it or getting caught that they said it, whatever, whatever it might be. And David's saying, let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape. Don't, don't let me get into these things, God. Help me. Help me guard myself and not get into these things. So easy, we look at it sometimes and say, here's the easy way out of whatever it is. This is the easy way out. Uh, God, I could go out tomorrow and make this kind of money doing something. Or, you know, God, if I just said this or did this, it would be the easy way out of the problem. God says, that's not the honorable, righteous way out of a problem. And that's sometimes very hard to do to do things the right way, to do things the honorable way, the way that God says this is the best. And that's what God is wanting to do for us. He wants to give us the best. 
Not the cheapest, not the easiest. He wants to give us the best. And sometimes that creates sacrifice on our part. And our little pea brains don't always understand that God has a better plan for us. But it is something that we just look at and say, God, what is best? What is best in my life? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? And sometimes he asks us to do some very hard things. You know, when the disciples were told to stand for him after his resurrection and just stay around and you know, they were worried about being dead the next day when guards come down to their, you know, come to arrest them. And Jesus is saying, stay. Stay in Jerusalem till I tell you to go. That's got to be a tough thing. You know, God, you know, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, they're, they're out to arrest us. They want to put us on crosses. You want us to stick around? We're looking to get to Galilee as fast as we can. At least they were further away. And God says, stay. Stay until I've given you the strength to get by. David having to answer to Nathan and say, you know, you are the man that did this murder and, and stole this lamb. And David's having to swallow very hard because the penalty for what he had done for both crimes is death. And he has to come up and admit that he has committed capital crimes and then watch God bless him, you know, give him forgiveness. Sometimes it's very hard to admit that what we've done is wrong. So he had two capital offenses on his head, and Bathsheba had one capital offense on her head. And God forgave both of them. Not without consequence. David paid heavy consequence for his action. And sometimes it's really hard for us to be able to say, God, I just need your help to accept the consequences for what's going on. And it's not easy always to, all the time to do what's right. It's very hard to do what's right. But you know, when we try to take the shortcut out, it usually catches up with us anyway. And we still end up having to admit our fault. And then we get the consequences for what we did wrong, plus the consequences for avoiding doing right. And we make things worse. And you know, we're trying to get away from all the consequences and we just get more of them. And this is why it's so important. Lord, incline my heart to do what is right. And help me, even though it's going to be hard sometimes, help me do what is right. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to learn to incline our hearts to the right and to do what you would have us do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.